If you're feeling lonely in leadership, it's because you know that you are responsible. And that is what you signed up for if you're in leadership. You signed up for responsibility. But it takes a lot of pressure off of your shoulders to recognize that it's not necessarily wrong to feel lonely. It's just something that you have to do something. Well, hey there. My name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast at Path for Growth. We exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of that mission coming to life for impact-driven leaders. And anytime we do one of the content episodes like today's for the podcast, I always have a very specific objective in mind. I want to provide you with efficient and engaging content that makes you a stronger individual and a more effective leader in under 25 minutes. Now, every once in a while, we go over 25 minutes, and I'll have to ask for your grace and forgiveness there. Sometimes I just get so excited, I can't stop going. But my goal, my intent, my objective is always to keep it right around that 25-minute mark. I also want to let you know that anytime we have a content episode like this, we always provide a PDF guide that helps you walk through it and take notes and review what you've learned later. You can get that simply by clicking the link that's in the show notes. And today's episode is going to be a lot of fun because I know that many of you are like me and that you are doing some last-minute Christmas shopping right now, which is really good. Or maybe some of you are doing some Christmas asking right now, figuring out what you actually want for Christmas. Both are awesome. But so often this time of year, because that is going on, but also because we're planning for 2021 and establishing our goals and our habits and our disciplines and our routines, so often the topic that comes up in conversation is, well, what what should I be reading? What, what do I need to be putting into my mind? Because I just have this belief that, man, we put the right gas in our car for our car to perform correctly. We put the right food in our body for our body to perform correctly. Why would we not focus on fueling our mind and feeding our mind just as intentionally? We should absolutely expect that the things that come out of us are going to be a reflection of the things that we take in. And so that's why I just think that reading and what we listen to and what we watch on television, it's all so important. And that's the motivation behind today's episode, because I'm going to share with you some reading recommendations. But the recommendations that I'm going to share with you are ones that I'm making because I'm looking through a very specific lens. I thought about what are the books that absolutely change the way that I act or change the way that I think. Again, I I thought really intentionally about, okay, I want to share with them some things that they can focus on reading in 2021, and what I really want to think about is the books that change the way that I act or change the way that I think. And so what I want to do is I obviously want to share the books with you and tell you about the author and all of that, but what I really want to do is I want to share with you the concept that still to this day, even if I read some of these several years ago, still the concept that stands out the most to me and that I still reflect on because, again, it changed the way or continues to change the way that I act or the way that I think. Now, as I started making this list, I literally wrote 10 down. We're not going to have time for 10 in just 25 minutes. So I'm going to share with you five, and I put all 10 on the PDF so you can check those out there. So again, what I'm sharing with you is five books that absolutely change the way that I act or change the way that I think. 
And the first book that I want to share with you uh, is one by a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud. Now, many of you are familiar probably with Dr. Cloud. He's just a brilliant psychologist that has this outrageous capacity for taking neurological and social truths and communicating them and writing them in such a way that it's simple to understand, but then also apply. But before I tell you what the book is, I want to give you the context of when I read it, because then you'll really be able to understand how the concept that's contained in it changed the way that I both acted and think. In college, I had a principle that I applied to myself as I was kind of trying to discern what I wanted to do with my career and what I wanted to pursue in my life. And the rules that I made for myself were were threefold. It was three rules, and I said, I'm going to apply myself to these three rules, and I'm going to follow these. So the rules were love what you do, number one, do it really stinking well, number two, and never close yourself off to opportunity. Number three, love what you do, do it really stinking well, and never close yourself off to opportunity. Now, I didn't tell you they were revolutionary rules. They're pretty simple rules, but they were really important for me in college, and and I really credit, honestly, that framework for me being able to do what I get to do today in many ways. But one of the things that became true as a result of that framework, and specifically that third rule, is if you love what you do and do it really stinking well, number one, you're going to be effective, which is great. We want to be effective people. We want to make an effect on the world around us. But then if you never close yourself off to opportunity, well, you're constantly going to have opportunity show up. And if you're someone that has a propensity for saying yes, hello, I'm talking to you. Do you say yes to way too many things? Well, that was me. And I love pleasing people. And I love just saying yes to all the things. And I just started saying yes. Oh, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. And I would say yes to all of these opportunities, which is outstanding. That was one of the rules. But it was in that context where I started to become overloaded, where I started to become overextended and where I really started to become overcapacity. That was the context in which someone gave me the book Necessary Endings. And here's the thesis statement that really informs the remainder of that book. It's that if you are effective as a person and as a leader, if you are effective, you will produce more than you can sustain. (laughs) That is me making the mind blown sound right there. Like I just have this capacity for saying yes and constantly chasing opportunity and constantly adding. But the thing that I hadn't reckoned with was the fact that I, I have finite resources And remember, I was kind of dumb. I was in college at the time, right? But I didn't really think about the fact that it's like my capacity, my time, my energy. It's hyper limited because I'm a human being and therefore I'm going to produce more than I can actually sustain. And therefore, for me to retain my effectiveness, I had to participate in what Dr. Cloud calls necessary endings. And that's the name of the book. And he really walks you through what it looks like to prune things out of your life, whether that's specific relationships, whether that's specific commitments, so that he says you can best serve and add value to people the way you were created to serve and add value. It's such a powerful book about focus, about prioritization, and about learning to say no to the wrong things so that you can say yes to the right ones. And so If that's a stage that you're at, or if you know someone that's at that stage, 
that was so powerful when that friend of mine gave me that book because I think they literally probably saw, man, you are someone that is going to be burnt out very soon if you don't learn this practice, learn this discipline of necessary endings. And it was just where I intersected with this book in such a powerful way, and I'm just so grateful for it. So I hope that I can either do that for you and tell you you need to read that book or that you can do that for someone else. It's Henry Cloud's Necessary Endings. And again, we'll put the link to it on the PDF. The next book that I want to recommend to you is by a guy named David Brooks. He's a columnist for the New York Times, just an absolutely wonderful writer. And the book is called The Road to Character. And there's a couple concepts in this book that just absolutely blew me away. But really, what's really cool is the way that he organizes the book is through a series of really well-written biographical essays. But the concept that I will never forget is the one that he presents in the beginning of the book. But I will tell you flat out, I have recommended this book to several of my friends. I've bought it for many of my friends and very few of them. There have been a couple, but very few of them like it as much as I do. And I'm always horrendously offended whenever they tell me they got bored and they couldn't finish reading it because I loved this book. Seriously, if you're ever near Nashville and we hang out, you got to ask me to see my copy of this book because it is pretty torn up. And there are legitimately, this is not a joke, there are legitimately like 10 underlines per page. It's kind of ridiculous. It's like there's more underline in the book than there's not underlined. But for me, it was just so powerful. And I think the thing that stood out the most about it was the concept that he bases the entire book on and all of the essays on. Because the the concept that he starts the book with is the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. So hear this for a second. I want to tell you about this concept. David talks about resume virtues, and these are the things that we do or that we have done. It's the skills and abilities we have. It's the things that we've earned. It's the certificates we've received. It's the levels that we've moved up. It's the ladders that we've climbed. So often we think about our life and we especially think about our career through the lens of our resume virtues. And as a society... Western culture has become hyper accustomed and incredibly effective at communicating about and more importantly, teaching resume virtues. But here's what he says that's so powerful is when you're at someone's funeral, the thing they never talk about is someone's resume virtues. Because when you're at someone's funeral, people really aren't worried about the ladder that you climbed or the career success that you had, or the certificates and degrees that you received. That's a pretty powerful thought. And so what he encourages readers to focus on and what he lays out throughout the course of the book is what he calls eulogy virtues. Because these are the virtues that you're going to hear in someone's eulogy. These are the virtues that we should really all be focused on cultivating because they are the ones that actually matter. And through the lens of incredible historical figures like Dwight Eisenhower and St. Augustine and Dorothy Day, he focuses on virtues that are less understood but absolutely important. Virtues like self-mastery and dignity and ordered loves is what he calls it and self-examination and humility. It's an absolutely incredible book. And just to give you a little bit of a taste of how David Brooks writes, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite paragraphs from one of my favorite chapters in the book. It's in the chapter uh, on St. Augustine. And if you have this book, it's on page 192. Brooks writes that Augustine's feelings of fragmentation 
has its modern corollary in the way many contemporary young people are plagued by a frantic fear of missing out, or FOMO. The world has provided them with a super abundance of neat things to do. Naturally, they hunger to seize every opportunity and taste every experience. They want to grab all the goodies in front of them. They want to say yes to every product in the grocery store. They are terrified of missing out on anything that looks exciting. But by not renouncing any of them, they spread themselves thin. What's worse, they turn themselves into goodie seekers, greedy for every experience and exclusively focused on self. If you live in this way, you turn into a shrewd tactician, making a series of cautious semi-commitments without really ever surrendering to some larger purpose. You lose the ability to say a hundred no's for the sake of one overwhelming and fulfilling yes. Couple things on that. First of all, oh my gosh, like twist the knife. Jeez, <laughs> pretty convicting, especially if that's something that you're challenged by. Also, I actually picked this paragraph without thinking about how it relates to what I talked about with necessary endings. But, I mean, you can see how the two are incredibly connected. Maybe that's just something that I'm really focused on is making sure that I don't overload or make semi-commitments. But the other thing that I would say is that he has this incredible capacity to take historical figures, draw out principles that are absolutely important, and then apply them to situations like that paragraph that are absolutely extremely real and outrageously relevant today. So again, the book is The Road to Character. It's by David Brooks. And let me know if you read that one and if you like it especially. Don't tell me if you don't like it. But if you like it, man, you're someone that I need to be friends with. The next one is a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? It's by Clayton Christensen. Clayton was a Harvard business professor that unfortunately passed away, but just an absolutely brilliant thinker on the topic of management and innovation. And it's really fascinating the way he organized this book, How Will You Measure Your Life? Because up to this point, he had really primarily written business books um, and management books. But he wrote this book, How Will You Measure Your Life?, really based on the idea that a lot of times we have this incredible ability as human beings to use the wrong measuring stick and we don't realize it and we don't realize the fact that we're evaluating ourselves using the wrong criteria until it's too late or until we've really burned some relationships. And so he walks through what should we be using to measure your life, but the way that he teaches this is by using the same principles that he teaches business leaders, CEOs, and business owners. Absolutely fascinating how you organize this book. And honestly, I think the concept that stood out the most to me from this book that I still think about to this day is the difference between a deliberate strategy and an emergent strategy. And so I want to share this with you. He says that the companies that thrive in the long term are not the ones that have the unbelievable initial idea that they thought of the perfect thing right whenever they launch their business. They roll out that perfect thing and it's up and to the right from the very beginning. He says that idea, that notion is absolutely completely false. He says that's your deliberate strategy. And sometimes your deliberate strategy is a good idea. Sometimes the deliberate strategy is the one you'll end up running with and it will be successful. But more often than not, that is not the case. The deliberate strategy is simply the starting line. He says the companies that thrive, 
the Amazons, the Netflix, the Walmarts, uh, the Hondas of the world. He says that the companies that really thrive over the long haul are the ones that survive their deliberate strategy. Their deliberate strategy is not the thing that ends up making them work long term, but they survive it long enough to learn what their emergent strategy should be. And here's how that changed the way that I think and act. It relieved a lot of the pressure that I was putting on myself. And it's really relieving right now the pressure that I'm putting on our business. Because prior to reading that section of the book, I had this idea that the people that succeed are the ones that have the best initial idea. That they think of this thing that doesn't yet exist, they pursue the thing, and that thing is the thing that makes them successful and the thing that ends up becoming a wildly, outrageously thriving business. And in reality, none of the data, none of the evidence, none of the history shows that's the case. And so whenever I take action now, I just say, okay, this is my deliberate strategy, but I anticipate that it will not be the long-term strategy. I started to say in my personal life, but also in my professional life, Of course, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give my all. I'm going to pursue the thing that I think will work, but I'm going to expect that it might not work. And I just need to keep my eyes open because it's in the process of acting that I might find the thing that does work. That was such a powerful concept for me to learn. And it's one that sticks with me to this day, along with so many others from that book. The book is How Will You Measure Your Life? It's by Clayton Christensen. And man, this is just an absolutely wonderful book to give as a gift for someone this Christmas because it can have massive ramifications for the way people think and act, especially if they have a business mind or they really enjoy business. Okay, I've got two more recommendations for you. And the next one is probably one of the most intellectually challenging books I've read in a long time. It's a book called Awareness, and it's written by, I think he's a Franciscan monk, which I, quite frankly, I still don't fully understand what that is, but his name is Anthony DeMello. There's some really brilliant things in this book. There's some really spiritually challenging things in this book that were just really good for me to chew on and digest and find myself thinking about some of the ideas and arguments that he presents in this book. But I will tell you, my recommendation for this book is that read it if you are in a spot that you are pretty spiritually centered and grounded, or give it to someone that is pretty spiritually centered or grounded because it will mess with you in many ways. And honestly, it was really helpful for me as I was reading this book to pair it with something that I knew is true. So I paired it with scripture because that's what I lean on as truth. And it was good for me to read both of those at the same time, just to make sure that I was really staying centered, staying grounded in what I really believe. And then taking his book as what it is, it's a compelling argument. But one of the thoughts that I believe aligns with scripture and was so powerful for me to consider is the idea that Anthony presents that so often the biggest thing that gets in our way of experiencing truth is our concept of truth. And the way that he makes this argument is that sometimes the biggest thing that gets in people's way of experiencing God is the concept they have of God, because the concept that they have of God is something that has been put in their head by the way they were raised, the church they grew up in, the church that they left, the people they were led by, the people that mentored them, maybe poor experiences that they had in the past, maybe great experiences that they had in the past. 
But so often we are not actually experiencing the God of the Bible. We're experiencing the God that is the product of our past experience. And that God is a concept and our concept mentally of God gets in the way of us actually experiencing God in truth. (laughs) Now, I will tell you, I think that I just in less than a minute tried to unpack an idea that we could probably spend five episodes on and that literally as I'm talking about it, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. So if you just kind of were like, wow, what was that? You can listen back to it about three times if you want to, or you can stick with me because the principle here that really has continued to stick with me and that I think is so important for impact-driven leaders to understand is that concepts are not reality. Concepts, if useful, are our best shot at describing reality. I'm going to say it again. Concepts are not reality. Concepts, if useful, good concepts, are our best shot at describing reality. And here's how I've seen this play out. Many of you probably use and leverage personality tests. I love personality tests. The DISC, the Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, the Enneagram is the really popular one right now. And I love all of these. I've taken a lot of them and I get really into them and love talking with other people about what they are and how much they align with what the personality test says that they are. But here's what we need to understand. The results that you get from that personality test, whether it's the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, the Strengths Finders, those results and that test, they are a concept. Your Enneagram number is not your reality. Your Myers-Briggs label is not your reality. And we run into a whole lot of trouble whenever we say, oh, this Enneagram number, this is reality. This is truth. Because here's the deal. I just refuse to believe that the story goes that God created the heaven and the earth and he created the light and the darkness and he created the wind and the waves and the land. And then he created man and woman. And he said, there will be nine types and one will be the achiever and one will be the enthusiast. No. That didn't happen. I just refuse to believe that's how it went down. I think that what happened is we created this thing called the Enneagram that is our best shot at trying to describe what has been created. Now, I will tell you, it's a really good shot and it's a good concept, but the concept is not reality. The framework, the formula, it is not reality. And there are a lot of people that are trying to give us frameworks and formulas and ideas that are all, a lot of them are really good. Some of them are terrible, but a lot of them are really good. But don't let people fool you into thinking that their concept, their framework, their module, their idea, it's truth. It's their best shot at describing what is true. And that's the lens through which we should evaluate it. And that's the lens through which we should use it. Oh, I I get so fired up about that. that book, man. It will take you for a loop. So it's Awareness by Anthony DeMello. And again, read at your own risk and make sure you're in a place that's really grounded and really centered because it is one that will make you think. Okay, let's move on to the final one. And I think the final one is a really good one to end on as well. And then I'll include the additional five in the show notes of this episode. The last one that I want to tell you about is a book called Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Now, Doris Kearns Goodwin is my favorite living historian. She wrote 
uh, Team of Rivals that is the book that the movie Lincoln was based on. And many of you may know that's one of my absolute favorite movies, especially as it pertains to leadership. But this book, Leadership in Turbulent Times, it looks at the lives of four presidents that walked through crisis, LBJ, Lincoln, FDR, and who is the final one? Teddy Roosevelt. Four incredible leaders that each walked through their own set of turbulent times. And wow, what a relevant topic for the year that we're coming to the close of. And honestly, I believe the year that we're heading into right now. But I'll tell you, the the idea and the line that continues to stick with me, especially to this day, now that I've started my own business and that I use a lot in the work that I do with business owners and business leaders whenever I coach them is she used a line in talking about Lincoln in the the heart and in the depths of the Civil War where she says that it was at this moment that he experienced the isolation of ultimate responsibility. And I read that and I swear a light bulb went off for me because I've heard the phrase leadership is lonely before. And I almost to a degree didn't connect with it or I didn't understand it because I felt like leaders are always surrounded by people. So how can you be lonely? And it was that book that made me realize that Lincoln was surrounded by people. He had advisors. He had generals. He had a a clamoring public that wanted his attention and his affection and his time and his energy. But It was at that moment that he experienced the isolation of ultimate responsibility. If you're feeling lonely in leadership, that's why. It's because you know that you are responsible. And that is what you signed up for if you're in leadership. You signed up for responsibility. But it's just helpful. It takes a lot of pressure off of your shoulders to recognize that it's not necessarily wrong to feel lonely. It's just something that you have to do something with. You have to get around other people that are bearing that responsibility, or you have to share some of the responsibility with other people so that you are not entirely carrying it on your shoulders. So what I want you to hear is that if you feel lonely in leadership, that's not the end of the world. And it's also not a sign that you're doing something wrong or that you have an incredible problem. It's just a sign that you're bearing responsibility and that you either need to share some of that responsibility or share some of the weight of it by talking through it and verbally processing it. I thought that would be really relevant in this season to share with you. And it was something that continues to make an impact on me. So that is leadership in turbulent times. That whole book is just wonderful, especially if you like history and the author is Doris Kearns Goodwin. Y'all, I'm going to make sure that we put the links to all of these books uh, in the PDF. And also, I'm going to include those five additional books and some of my reasoning behind choosing them as well. If you do read these, shoot me a message. My social media handle is at Judd on the Run, and our business social media handle is at Path for Growth. I would also ask that if you haven't yet and you listen on Apple Podcasts, write a review. It's always so helpful for me and for us to be able to read those reviews and see what y'all are thinking about these episodes. And it also helps us make sure that we're getting in the ears of people that have not yet heard about Path for Growth. So thank you to all of you who have already done that. I really appreciate you. And share and subscribe to this podcast because, again, that helps us make sure that we're continuing to grow this mission, which once more is to help impact-driven leaders step into who they're created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified.
hey, remember, we're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.